Raised by Spirit, Chapter 2, The Adolescence Years After the relocation up north, from time to time, we would revisit my grandmother in Alabama, and one of the last things she ever gave me was this knitted blanket. She told me that all the love she had to give, she put in this blanket. And because of that, it was magical. Now, this blanket consisted of the ugliest color combinations you could possibly think of. Bright red, royal blue, green, yellow, brown. It was just not appealing in regards to the color, but she made it with love, and it came from her. So regardless of the color scheme, I cherished it. It wasn't too long after that we received a phone call that my grandmother had passed away. When my mother called me that day, I knew before I even picked up the phone she was calling me to tell me that my grandmother had passed. When I answered the phone, I said no, and unfortunately her response was yes, she's gone. So one last time, me, my sister, and my mom returned to the South to prepare for my grandmother's services. This in of itself was a shit show. Between the grief the family was experiencing due to such a grand loss, the dividing of my grandmother's belongings seemed to be the final split between my mom and her relationship with the remaining siblings she had. According to what I witnessed during this time and what my mother shared with us privately, all of my grandmother's belongings were to be given to my mother. But the siblings contested the will, and rightfully so. And because we lived up north, it was easier for my mom to divide my grandmother's house and her belongings to the children that still lived down south. Even so, I couldn't wrap my head around why everyone was so focused on the belongings when the only thing that mattered was the fact that my grandmother was gone. The night before we headed back up north, Cora showed me my grandmother's Bible and said, take this for your mom and don't tell anyone until you get home. Mind you, when Cora said this, she also explained, you're not stealing. You need to take this for balance. Your grandmother's will is not balanced. Between that and the grief, this is why they're arguing. Everyone is getting exactly what they deserve, but your mother is being a martyr, driven by grief, and this will make matters worse. If there's one tangible item your mother should have of her mom's, it's her mother's Bible. Not exactly understanding what she meant by the term martyr, I still did exactly what she told me to do. When we returned home, I gave my mom the Bible. Now, I didn't tell her I was told to take it by her dead grandmother. That would have resulted in being accused of devil worship and witchcraft and eternal damnation. So instead, I just told her what Cora said. Grandma would want you to have this. This brought tears of gratitude to my mother in times of such a tremendous loss. And I learned yet another valuable lesson of trusting the guidance when given and the source that I received it from. The experience of my mom's mom passing, like I said before, was the catalyst within understanding my ability of spiritual communication. My communication with those on the other side was growing. Orion and Cora were different. I never met them. And at the time, I didn't have any proof that it was even them that I was communicating with. The proof didn't come for a few more years. And now my grandmother took the lead communication position, which was even more confusing because everything on the outside world said she was gone and she was dead. So how was I still able to talk to her? And like I said, this is when I was guided towards tarot for the validation. And as time passed, it was those yearly readings I did on myself that time and time again proved my grandmother's messages to be true. Rarely instant validation occurred, but it always was validated within time. As I stated before, I was an extremely sensitive child. As all the previous drama unfolded within the family over the last seven years, and my mother's lack of nutritional education, I had become a very heavy child, morbidly obese, to be 
precise. At 12 years old and 5'3", I weighed 240 pounds, yet my mother found nothing wrong with this. In fact, she got extremely offended when the doctors tried to address this, and those occasions were very rare. I learned throughout the years that I was using food as I was taught. Food was a source of love. If you were fed, you were loved. Food filled that void. I also used food to replace the energy I was draining myself of, trying to please all these other people. And lastly, I used food as a protection mechanism to shield the unwanted energy, which never works out, by the way, but is a common behavior in people, especially children, that are overly sensitive to environmental energies and the energies of other people. It wasn't until many years later I realized that this cycle with food was connected to a past life, but we'll get there. Right around this time, when I was 15 years old, I began to understand these things in a larger perspective through the messages of my spiritual team and what they would provide me. Again, they were my parental figures. So naturally, when you realize your behaviors, you then have an opportunity to change the cycle. So I did. I lost 100 pounds in the course of a year. I went from being the fat, shy, out-of-state kid in school to the bad bitch that fought the girls that used to make fun of me. No one in school especially, could figure out what happened. I started working after school, providing a means to self-educate through my own finances and not just relying on the tarot for validation on the messages. This is also when I started to date. On one hand, I was growing into an age that was more suitable for the knowledge I had been receiving years prior, and on the other hand, I was still young and dumb. Here's a good example of young and dumb combined with higher wisdom. In my sophomore year of high school, the kids at my school went from making fun of me because I was overweight and socially awkward to making fun of me because of the guy I was dating in the next town over. Basically, because we lived in a higher class area, if you will, and the guy I was dating lived in the city, and although he did turn out to be one hell of a douchebag wrapped in a lesson, he was from a lower class city with a bad reputation. Over the course of three years dating this guy, I had been guided intuitively several times that I should not trust him, but I did not listen. My dad hated him and I did not listen. So by the time I was in the middle of my sophomore year, I got pregnant. Knowing damn well at this point, I should have listened. And I was faced with a choice now, keep the baby or not. I didn't tell my mom right away. I did tell my sister and I also turned to my spiritual parental figures. They advised me that this child that was trying to come in was a boy and that he chose me for his mother long ago. But it may not be in the best interest to have my boyfriend at the time be his father. They explained to me that when a soul chooses a mother, it is a two-way street. The soul slash child understands the choices the mother faces within the earthly experience and no choice that she makes is a wrong choice. They said that the soul does not enter into the mind-body experience until birth. So no harm is done regardless of choice. While the body or the fetus is forming in the mother's womb, the soul can enter and exit at will. That terminations and miscarriages are interchangeable with one slight difference, choice. They said a miscarriage will occur if the soul of that child makes the choice not to come in at that time for whatever reason, and vice versa with the termination. When a termination occurs, the mother of that child chooses the timing is not right all of which is understood on the other side as a possibility of free will. They went on to say that if I chose to terminate the pregnancy, the child would come in again at a later time with a more suitable father figure for that soul's purpose, and that I will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that that person is the person I am most suitable in pursuing a life and a family with, and he is the definition of a soul's mate. This is also the point of time when they told me that I would indeed have two children at a young age, that regardless, it was okay if I chose to 
to have them by different fathers. But if I chose not to go through with this pregnancy, a pregnancy was inevitable within the next few years. Once I was able to understand and decipher all that information, I came to the conclusion that it was best to terminate the pregnancy and get out of this relationship. At that point, I told my mother I was six weeks pregnant, and I told her what my choice was. Her emotional response was filled with shame and guilt and judgment, but again, her actions were, okay, but don't tell your father, which became a very common response for her. She went ahead and scheduled the termination for me, going against everything she believed in. After terminating the pregnancy at seven weeks, I still struggled to end the relationship, even though I knew I needed to. By the end of my sophomore year, I was sitting in study hall by myself as usual, and one of the jocks a few tables over was loudly talking shit about me. This was the last straw for me. So I got up. I walked behind him, I grabbed him by the back of his hair, put my pencil up to his jugular and asked him if he wanted to repeat what he just said. He didn't. I walked out of school that day, drove home, told my mother she had two choices yet again. She could either sign me up to get my GED or find another school, but I wasn't going back there. And she did. Within a week I transferred to an alternative school for troubled kids. Except they weren't troubled or bad, they were real. Sure, everybody came from different backgrounds compared to maybe what I was used to in my other school, but they were my kind of people. They were real. Not only did I get along with all of them, the teachers, in my opinion, were the kind of teachers that all teachers should aspire to be. They treated every person, regardless of status, age, race, or financial situation, equally, which is a rarity today. With that being said, I excelled in this school throughout my junior year with straight A's and perfect attendance, which is something that I never experienced at any other school, leaving my mother mind boggled. I never wanted to go to school until I went to this school, and every day I looked forward to going to school once I transferred. Unfortunately, at this point in my junior year, I was only partially paying attention to the guidance that I was receiving in regards to breaking this relationship off. I was still dating the douche boyfriend, and I started dating a second guy from my alternative school by senior year. One boyfriend was white, one boyfriend was black. And while my mother strongly disagreed in regards to any interracial relationships, I hadn't yet seen the controlling side of her. Again, it really depended where my area of freedom was coming from. I assumed that to some degree she knew that I was going to do what I wanted to do and there was no one that was going to be able to stop me as I had proven that prior. Or possibly it was just easier for her to accept this and not fight it. Or maybe it's because it was designed to be this way. But right around this time, at 17, I was spending a lot of time at my sister's house. I was allowed to be myself at my sister's, and although she played a huge motherly role for me, she was also very balanced with being a big sister. So if I was going to smoke weed, buy weed, drink, do all of those things that a 17-year-old does, I did it at her house. And you could say that maybe my sister's house was a party house, but I would say... I made smart choices in regards to where I was going to party. One day at her house, these two guys walked in. Now, I was over there so much, but I had never seen these two before. The first guy that walked in was drop dead gorgeous, and the second guy that walked in left my ass speechless. I looked at my friend sitting next to me on the couch, and my response to the second guy that walked in was, I'm going to have his baby, even though I thought I was joking at the time. I was not. Even though the first guy that walked in was extremely attractive, his personality on the other hand screamed, I'm a douche, and I've already been there and done that. But like they said would happen, I knew from the moment I laid eyes on that second guy that walked through the door, he was my soulmate. 
Now, he didn't know, but that doesn't matter much, now does it? Again, from the second I laid eyes on this guy, he was my sole interest. Nothing else mattered, and no one else mattered. If he was at my sister's house, you could bet your ass I was there. I totally stalked him and convinced my sister to help me keep tabs on him and strategically arranged times to where I could see him. At this point, we knew him by his nickname, which was Twiggy. He had no idea of any of this that was going on. I knew more about him than he knew about me because to my advantage, he was my sister's now ex-husband's childhood best friend. And my sister approved. Not that that mattered much, but it was nice. All of it was validating to what they had advised me a few years prior. He was everything I ever imagined my soulmate to be. He was tall, dark hair, light eyes. He wasn't a little bitch like my previous boyfriends. And he was also a good guy. He was loyal, good morals, very respectful. All similar qualities to my dad. On the flip side of his personality, don't fuck with something that he loves because all of that would change very quickly. He was your not-so-typical bad boy. His circle of friends were the type of people that didn't make the best decisions, but most of them were good people. Moreover, like my dad, he held a presence all his own. At this point, I was still dating the douche from the city and the guy from the alternative school, but now I wanted to pursue nothing more than Twiggy. The long-term douchebag boyfriend was well aware that I liked this guy. He tried to be controlling and tell me where I could go and where I could not go, but that didn't really work. One day, I found out that Twiggy was going to be at my sister's house while at my boyfriend's. My boyfriend was freaking out because he knew I wanted to go to my sister's for obvious reasons. So I told him if he had that much of a problem with it, to get in the car and come with me, but either way, I was going. And he did. I ignored my boyfriend the whole time, all while flirting and making googly eyes at Twiggy. I made it quite apparent. I just didn't give a fuck. Nothing was going to keep me away from him. Sound similar? There was only one problem at this point. Twiggy was six years older than me. He was 23 and I was 17. So basically, I was jailbait. But not for long. Within a few months, I dumped both boyfriends and on my 18th birthday, Twiggy came to my house and introduced himself to my parents and picked me up for dinner. My mother was fakely polite, as usual. My father, well, he wasn't thrilled. He said absolutely nothing to Twiggy. I remember looking at my dad and telling him that I loved him and that I left all contact information and addresses on his desk and that I would be back in a couple of days. I knew he wasn't thrilled with my choice, but he knew he had to respect it. Like I said before, I never lied to my parents. They always knew where I was and who I was with. They might not have agreed with it, but I always told the truth. After that, I didn't want to be away from Twiggy. More often than not, I was with him and not at home. And this drove my mother insane, to the point where she put three times too much oil in my car to try to blow the motor. To say that I was furious is an understatement. Thankfully, Twiggy caught this in time and drained the extra fluid out. When putting too much oil in the car didn't blow the motor and put a halt on my freedom, she then decided a few weeks later to pull the spark plugs out of my car and act like she had no idea what was wrong with it. When I had my dad look at it, he knew exactly what was up. So while he went to go get new spark plugs for me, that was the day I saw exactly how controlling my mother was trying to be. She cornered me in the kitchen telling me that I couldn't do what I wanted to do as long as I lived under her roof, the very thing her mother did to her at 26, suggesting that I had no other options and that I was required to stay there and take care of her. I then backed her into the opposing corner and promised her that that would not be a problem much longer. 
In doing so, I never laid a hand on my mother, but I never took shit from her either. I never would have backed her into the corner that day had she not aggressively came at me first. Once I made my point and said what I had to say, I left and started walking down the street. It wasn't much longer after that my father pulled up beside me. I looked at him and told him he needed to go back to the house and figure out what the fuck was wrong with his wife. That I had never done anything to be treated that way and I was not going to tolerate it. I told him that I loved him and that I would call him later. He didn't say much. He knew there was nothing that he could say. So he told me that he loved me too, and he turned around and went back home. You might be wondering, why didn't he put up a fight? Why didn't he ask me to come home? Why did he always let me do what I felt was right all the time? The thing is, is you have to understand he loved my mother, me, and my sister unconditionally. He learned how to love without conditions from his mother. And he learned how to be a good father and husband from his mother, but also he learned what not to be from his father. My dad's dad, whom we called Pop Pop, wasn't the nicest guy from what I can remember. And believe me, I don't remember much. My father made sure that there was minimal interaction with him growing up. My grandfather on my dad's side treated my dad like he was the shit on the bottom of his shoe. Nothing my dad ever did in my grandfather's eyes was good enough. He, like my maternal grandfather, treated his wife horrible, womanizing, controlling, you name it. Loved only upon conditions. In that way, my father understood that my journey of following what I was guided to do was exactly what he did too. He knew we were one and the same. He understood. That day, I finally got a hold of Twiggy and found a ride to my sister's house, and he picked me up later that day, only to give me the keys to his car so that I had a way back and forth to where I needed to go, to school, to see him, to work, without my mother having an ability to control that kind of freedom. From that moment on, we were inseparable. It wasn't too long after that we moved into our first apartment together, and nine months into dating him at 18 of my senior year in high school, I was pregnant, yet again, as predicted. I became too sick to graduate with honors, but to me, that didn't matter much. Due to the journey that laid ahead of me, I kind of knew it was going to be fine. I remember both my grandmother and Cora coming through at this point to make sure that I was aware of the cycle that was being repeated within my relationship with my mother. The cycle between my mom and my grandmother started when my mom was 26 and started to date my father. Again, that was when my mother decided to no longer pursue being a missionary and stop taking care of her mom the same way that she always did. She decided at that point to pursue a relationship and family with my father, which was an entirely different dream than what everybody expected. The problem is, while she was doing this, she was also seeking the approval of her choices from her family. When approval wasn't achieved, my mom conjured up excuses of jealousy and evil ways for others just because of their inability to understand and accept her choices, which was all stemming from this unhealed trauma that we haven't gotten to yet. This was being repeated to a degree with me and my mom, just at a different level. And the only way to break a cycle is to make different choices. But you have to understand, Making different choices than my mother was easy. It was easy because I didn't have the trauma that she endured, even though I had the knowledge of it. I had no need to control because, again, I had no trauma. I had no need to judge another's journey and absolutely zero need for approval or acceptance because, unlike my mom, my faith was unwavering and strengthened throughout my early childhood years. Obviously, my mother no longer had the opportunity to try and control the situation after I moved out. Once again, I had reminded her that wasn't an option. And once again, there was no need for approval and acceptance of my choices, as they were my choices and my guided intuition that I followed was the only thing I relied on. This is the first of many different choices made to fully break this cycle.